Welcome to the Be Down Life podcast, where we teach life and leadership skills to teens and their parents. We're your hosts, Hudson and Rachel. Stay tuned all the way to the end because we're going to be telling you how you can compete to win money in our stimulus contest. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking to entrepreneur, investor, and author Cameron Johnson. Cameron started his first business at the age of nine, and before graduating high school, he had started 12 profitable businesses and made his first million. At the age of 15, he became the youngest American appointed to the board of a Tokyo-based company. His first book was titled 15-Year-Old CEO, was released in Japan that same year, and it became an instant bestseller, reaching number four on the bestsellers list. In his early 20s, he wrote a book, You Call the Shots. It was It's a great book for anybody wanting to learn more about entrepreneurship. It's a great read, lots of good nuggets. My copy has highlights all in it. Today, he is the chairman and CEO of Magic City Ford Lincoln, an automobile dealership in Roanoke, Virginia, that was founded by his great-grandfather in 1938. He is one of the few fourth-generation car dealers in the country. He started working at the dealership as a kid. He worked in several different departments, and every department that he worked in, he revolutionized the way things were done and made them more successful. Everywhere he goes, he finds new ways to do things and improve them. We know that a lot of people are facing a crisis right now. A lot of teens have lost their jobs. A lot of parents have lost their jobs. So we asked Cameron to come on and give our listeners ideas about how they can help themselves and their families financially during this time. Thanks for coming on our podcast, Cameron. Well, thanks to you both for having me. Great job, Hudson, and look forward to talking uh, some entrepreneurship and life lessons with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood? Were you raised in a family of entrepreneurs? Sure. Um, well, being that my dad was in the car business um, that my great-grandfather had started, uh, that was sort of his path um, and into business. And, you know, growing up, I would always enjoy coming to the dealership on the weekends, uh, even if it was just to, you know, sit in a new Mustang or, you know, whatever the latest and greatest was at the time. But um, my mom, actually, her father died when she was 14, and he had started a really successful food distribution business. Um, it was called Rona Restaurant Service. And when he died at 14, my grandmother, my mom's mom, my mom, my mom was an only child, but my mom's mother took over the business. And uh, when my mom left college and came back to run the business, they grew it to be over a hundred million dollars in sales business. And she sold it when she uh, married my dad. She was uh, a partner in it um, with my grandfather's other partners, but um, they successfully ran that and sold it. And I got to give my mom a lot of credit for a lot of my entrepreneurial ability because when my dad was at work running the dealership, you know, obviously when I would get home from school, I'm with my mom and uh, she really always encouraged me you know, to, to, uh, you know, whether it was a lemonade stand that, you know, then turned into selling popcorn door to door through the Boy Scouts to then selling wrapping paper during the holidays, you know, for a school fundraiser, I would basically always be, and this is in a K through 12 school, but I would be in the fourth or fifth grade and always be the top salesperson. And I would not only just go door to door in my neighborhood, but I would go to businesses that have a lot of employees and uh, obviously with permission, but I was always uh, able to sell. And that's really what got me started in 
wanting to start my first business, which was a small printing company called Cheers and Tears when I was nine. And it was really small. I would sell, you know, greeting cards or stationary uh, business cards. And I would just print them on my home computer and my home printer that I got for a Christmas present when I was eight. Um, because I, uh, most of my friends maybe had older siblings and they already had computers in the household or their parents had a work computer. My parents didn't know anything about computers and I was the oldest. I just have a younger sister. So my parents uh, finally for Christmas, uh, my eighth birthday, uh, did give me a computer. And then that's what led me to start uh, Cheers and Tears Printing Company. And uh, it was a small business, but it would allow me to, you know, age 10, age 11, you know, make enough money. Back then, computers were three and $4,000 each and printers were really expensive. And it would allow me to make enough money to buy my own equipment moving forward. My parents never gave me a loan. They never gave me really anything past that very first computer other than, you know, their love and support. And otherwise I would sort of do this, you know, in my bedroom uh, behind the scenes and sell to friends and family and neighbors. So both my parents were in business, um, but I wasn't necessarily raised in a climate full of entrepreneurs only because they didn't know anything about computers, yet alone the internet. So you've made your own way, like, well, Hudson, he does small engine repair, and we don't know anything about small engines, so he had to teach himself everything he knows. It's, it's amazing, and what's so great now is that you literally have an encyclopedia at your fingertips, whether it's a cell phone or whether it's you know YouTube and the internet. But you can literally teach yourself. You know, I, I wouldn't encourage you to you know go try and get a doctorate degree. I'd rather you go to med school. But you can literally learn any question about business. Uh, you know, with all these stimulus plans and everything else, you can go and teach yourself, you know, the, the tax code changes that are happening right now. I mean, everything is at our fingertips, which, you know, it's, it's only gotten better and easier to access. So do you think anyone could be an entrepreneur? I really do. Um, I think a lot of people are scared, um, either scared to take the risk, or I think they've almost waited too long. Uh, and what I mean by that is when you're a, a teenager or even if you're in college or, you know, just out of college, you have the least amount to lose. You know, you're not putting a mortgage on your house. You're not, you know, you're, you don't have to worry usually about food on the table, all those kinds of things. So when you're starting, when you're young, you're spending very little money and you can sort of take more risks. And the Internet is obviously the way I describe it is it's the equal playing field. Um, it doesn't really matter if you're in India or Florida or Roanoke, Virginia or Silicon Valley for that matter. Um, it's all about your idea and then how you market that idea and, and get the word out there. Right. Hey, you have a great story in your book to illustrate your point about putting yourself out there. Um, we talk about that concept a lot, um, on our show, we call it closed mouths. Don't get fed. Um, <laughs> That's great. would you mind telling us your home alone story? Yeah, sure. No problem. And obviously, I got, these days when I tell this story, I got to say this wasn't political. I was, you know, eight, nine years old when Home Alone, Home Alone 2 came out. And so obviously the movie is Home Alone 2 Lost in New York with Macaulay Culkin. And it takes place at the Plaza Hotel in New York City. And at the time, Donald Trump owned the Plaza Hotel. And he has a cameo in the film. He comes down and he, Macaulay Culkin's running through a hallway and bumps into him. Or, or I don't remember the exact scene. But my mom, when I watched that movie, she said, do you know, that's the guy that owns the hotel. And I, I obviously this is 
1992. This is long before The Apprentice, long before anything. I, you know, I had no idea who Donald Trump was. So I was like, wow, that's really cool. That would be awesome to own a hotel where, you know, you've got so many businesses in one. You've got obviously rooms you're renting, you've got restaurants, you've got so many uh, conference centers, uh, conventions, weddings. And I was like, wow, that would be so cool to, you know, to own a hotel. But what was really cool to me, obviously, I love the movie and, it, and, you know, it's on every holiday season. But what was really cool to me was the whole New York background. And I had never been to New York City. And even though I grew up in Virginia and my parents are well traveled, they usually would travel on business without me, you know, probably because I was in school. But um, what I said to my parents after the movie was I want to go to New York City. And I wouldn't let up on basically the ask because like like the example you just said, closed mouths don't get fed. I was never afraid to ask for it, whether it's asking the customer for the sale or whether it's asking my parents. Uh, and to, there's always a way to yes. And finally, my parents said, and it was probably just to shut me up, but they said, if you get straight A's the entire school year, we'll go to New York City next summer for a weekend. And so that was the goal. I got straight A's. It was obviously very easy back then when you're, you know, in fifth grade. And uh, when I found out that we were going to New York City, I said, can we stay at the Plaza because of the movie? And my mom was doing travel for our dealership employees and some other Ford employees. And so she had a relationship that could get, you know, basically a discounted rate at the Plaza. And so she took advantage of that, booked the Plaza Hotel. When I found out the dates, I decided to just write a letter to Donald Trump. I didn't have his address. I didn't tell my parents. Um, I had to sneak a stamp out of, you know, my mom's uh, drawer. And I basically hand wrote it and said, Dear Mr. Trump, my name's Cameron Johnson. I'm eight years old. I, I just got straight A's coming to New York City for the very first time, staying at the Plaza. The only thing I want to do when I'm in New York uh, is see the suite where the movie was filmed, Home Alone 2. That would be really, really cool. Thank you, Cameron Johnson. So I write this on notebook paper. Um, I then write on the envelope, Donald Trump, the Plaza Hotel, New York City. I didn't have a zip code. I didn't even put NY for the state. Uh, I never heard back, but I was like, well, this guy's really successful. He doesn't have time to write back to all of his letters. Oh, yeah, I said, maybe it got lost, you know, because I didn't address it right. I, and I never told anybody about the letter because I didn't want to go to school. And every day people being like, hey, did you, so did you hear back? And uh, so I just kept it to myself. A few weeks later, we get on a plane. We go to New York. We get to the hotel. My mom and I, my dad was coming the next day. And my mom gives her name to the receptionist to check in, says Ann Johnson. And the receptionist immediately leans over and said, well, you must be Cameron. And obviously, I immediately knew that he received my letter. My mom had no idea what was going on. Um, how does this lady know my son's name? And then she goes on to say, Mr. Trump received your letter. He understands you want to stay in this or see the suite where Home Alone 2 is filmed. He's actually arranged for you to stay in it the whole time you're here. So it was an amazing gesture and obviously very kind. Um, but what that really motivated me to do was after that trip, I wanted to learn everything I could about not only Donald Trump, but business in general. So the first book I read was his book at the time, Art of the Deal. And then I read Michael Dell's book, Direct from Dell, and then Bill Gates' book, and Richard Branson. I would just, I mean, obviously kids look up to athletes, and that's great. But I always just looked up to business people. And um, yeah, I read that book when I was nine, and that's what motivated me to start the printing business. That's awesome. You know, that was when he, he had nothing to gain, really, by letting a kid. No, exactly. Making... You know, and I was on 
uh, Donnie Deutsch's show on CNBC. I used to be a, a regular on that show, which obviously it's off the air, but I was telling Donnie the story one night and he's like, you know what? I mean, you sent him a flattering letter. He handed it to an assistant to, to make it happen, but he knew what a big impact it would have on me, even though, you know, obviously he, there's no reason he needed to do it. So right. Well, I and always, you said he kept call. He called you several times while you were up. Yeah, there. he called. Check he, on yeah, you. every time we missed him, we would get back to the hotel, and the red blinking light would be on the phone. And he had arranged for a, a private tour of FAO Schwartz, the big toy store that's in the movie that's across the street from the plaza. And he left me like a gift basket. You know, I love New York T-shirt, all those kinds of things. And obviously, there was no reason he needed to do. My my parents are nobodies. We're from a small town. Um, it was just because I wrote to him and asked for it. But that was another lesson, and that's the title of the first chapter of my book, which is put yourself out there. Um, I love, you know, closed mouths don't get fed because literally you've got to ask for it and you can have, you can be a genius and have the best idea ever. But if you're not going for it and trying to make relationships or make it happen, it doesn't matter what your idea is. I think especially if you're a young person, people like it when kids are. Totally. I mean, we had, yeah, go ahead. We had an incident where Hudson was wanting to get a go-kart and he didn't have the amount of money the guy was asking for. And he asked me and I'm like, no, that would be an insult for you to offer that little. But he kind of did what you did and kind of. I did the same thing with a four-wheeler, um, you know, back at, when I was a teenager and negotiating to buy one. And then I think also, especially when you are successful, that you want to see other people succeed. Um People think it's the opposite, like it's a, you know, try and step on the other guy's head. I've never experienced that from the successful people that I've met is they want to see other people succeed. Um, so, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with helping somebody out. Right. You never know if you ask what we, people will give you. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so what do you say to ki- to teens that say, well, I can't do this. I don't have any money to start with, I don't have money to start a business. How can you start I'd a say business? That's the best thing, best thing ever. I mean, I started with, yes, I had access to a computer, which most, most people do these days. Um, but I had $50, you know, in whatever, probably a piggy bank and started the small printing business. I had access to paper. I had the software on my computer. Um, I asked for the sale and then I grew it from there and it never grew to be huge, but it, it was making a few thousand dollars a year enough to, like I said, buy a new computer and new equipment. Um, and then it just gives you a great value of self-worth. But back in 2008, 2009, when we had a downturn similar to what, obviously for different reasons, but similar to what we're going through now, people would say, well, the banks won't give me a loan. And I was like, that's the best thing ever, because if the bank will loan you money, then you're going to go spend it. And then you, you haven't accomplished anything. Um, another thing I write about is start small and most everybody including, you know, the Taylor Swifts of the world, they all start small and start probably in a bedroom. Um, They don't start with millions of dollars in venture capital. Uh, One time I was given a speech and taking questions at the end. And this, this lady said, uh, I'm trying to get a $50,000 loan to start my business. And I was like, okay, what kind of business are you trying to start? And I didn't know what was going to come back. And she said, uh, a hairdresser uh, business, basically. And I was like, okay, step back just for a split second. And have you done the math on how many heads of hair you have to cut to get to 50,000? And she's like, I never thought of it that way. You know, you, you'd have to cut thousands of heads of hair to even get back to why do you need $50,000? Like, you should be able to do that with 
you know, several thousand dollars and start small and then grow and then sell more chairs, you know, in your salon as it grows. Um, so the fact that you, it might be harder to get access to money is not a bad thing. Uh, I think I've seen more, uh, and I've invested in some of them, but I've seen more companies fail because they're startups and they have too much money. And then the entrepreneur thinks, oh, well, we've got to, you know, act big and we've got to do this or do that or spend this. And that's not the right way. Yeah. We have a story about that, uh, back in the, how many years ago, 20 years ago, we started an internet service provider when we first got married and we, we should have let it go long before we did, but right. we kept funding it on credit cards. Right. And then by the time we, we ended up selling it. Um, but we were in such big debt. It took us five years to pay off all the debt we had. Well, I'm glad you were able to sell it and, and get through that. And obviously you learned a lifetime's lessons in doing that. Um, but I, yeah, I think access to money, I mean, it, I think it can be a bad thing. When you don't have access to money, you really try and bootstrap. You know, you're sending the emails to other entrepreneurs to either get their advice or find a partnership or, or you know, anything. And uh, when you think that you've just got the money to go do it, it's, it fails. Where do you get your ideas? So Hudson, one thing I've always done and actually still do is I keep a Word document just on my desktop of my computer. And anytime I think of something or see something, I just write it down. And so I'll keep, you know, maybe no more than 10 or 15 ideas in there. Um, and, and it could be totally random and they could, most of the time I don't do anything with them, but um, just very different ideas. And in today's world, if you're starting a, you know, an internet business, you really have to think about the phone because now more than 50% of web traffic is coming from people's phone. So you really have to think apps and you really have to think um, what, I think entrepreneurs are problem solvers. And so when you see a problem, that's always an opportunity. Um, and then what I also do is when I come up with a random ideas, I go on and I'll search to see if that already exists. And a lot of times it does, but that doesn't mean I stop there because a lot of people are like, oh, that's, that's already being done. I, I shouldn't do that. Actually, it's the exact opposite. You should go and study and see, are they doing well or are they failing? And if they're doing well, how can you do it better or cheaper or faster? Or maybe there's you know, room for competition, which makes everybody better. So yeah, I just, uh, I don't know where they come from. Um, some of them are totally random ideas, but I just like keep track of them sort of. Right. Do you think it's better, better to start a business in a crisis time? I mean, because the competition it, is not as bad. Right. Exactly. I mean, obviously I would say less businesses are being started when people are, you know, uh, dealing with other issues like right now, but at the same time in this crisis, which hopefully is going to be over at some point, um, people have a lot of time on their hands and they're working from home in a lot of cases uh, or they're not working at all. And that's a, that's a great opportunity to figure out what people need. Um, and again, you find a problem and then you figure out a way to solve it. Um, so I don't know that there is a best time to start a business, but when, when times are really good, it's probably harder. It might be easier to get a loan, but the big businesses are just getting bigger and bigger. Whereas you know, times like these, you just think outside the box. Yeah, that's a good, good point. Um, 
yeah, we think of this, you know, in a le- in a negative light, what's going on right now. But for some people, this is going to be a pivotal moment in a good way, because totally. they're going to they're going to be forced to take action that they might not have otherwise, because they lost their job that they had, or they had their hours reduced, and they really didn't like the job, but it was comfortable. Right. So exactly. And Rachel, gonna- that's what I meant earlier when I said it's almost easier to start a business when you're a teenager or in college because you don't have all the responsibilities. Well, there's plenty of times where people lost a job and then they went and started, you know, whatever they use their talents. It could be a handyman business. It can be anything. And, um, and, and that was the best thing that ever happened to them because it forced them to take action. Right. There's always going to be people that do well, even when things are going, going badly. That doesn't make them bad people. That just makes them cutting edge, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> Um, do you put profits back into your business? So, uh, yes, definitely. And this is a good reason why when businesses now are almost cash strapped because businesses slow down, the ones that survive are the ones that have, you know, money in the bank. And then coming out of a situation like this or 0809 or the 2000, uh, Hudson, you weren't alive, but in 2000, when the internet was getting started, there was a big bubble and it busted as I'm sure yes. you know. And so uh, I always put profits back in my business. But the other reason too, is that um, I live very marginally as far as my expenses. Um, I'm also, I'm getting older, but I'm, I'm not married and don't have any kids. And my expenses are very low other than travel. Um, so I always basically put profits back into the business. And then when I was a teenager, you know, and getting to that million dollar profit by the end of high school, I didn't have anything to spend it on, you know, I didn't, it wasn't like you're buying flashy cars or, you know, expensive watches. I mean, I was going to the movies and, you know, yeah, I could treat friends to movie tickets, but I wasn't spending any money, which is why it was also easier um, to save. So when you were a kid, when you were a teenager and you had the businesses, so would you say you plowed what percentage back in? I mean, if it was a percentage, it could be close to a hundred percent because I didn't need to take it out for anything. Yeah. Yes. I was like buying stocks and investing, but I was doing that because time is on your side as a young person, the earlier you start saving, you know, compound interest and growth. Um, so, I mean, it could have been in the nineties percent wise, just because I, I, you know, obviously I'm living in my parents' house and I'm in high school and I'm spending no money. So it's, it was easy to either save it or plow it back in. Um, you know, also it can, it's a point of diminishing return if you just start plowing everything back in, but the business can only be so big, you know, like if you have a, uh, I've got a, a friend who had a smoothie business and they were doing really well. And then they're like, well, let's go open two more. Well, both of those failed. So they should have probably, you know, either studied what they were doing more or focused more on the existing. So it doesn't always work to just say, oh, I've got more money. I should go put it back into the business. But no. Have you always been a saver? Because I know a lot of teenagers would not think that that way. They would be like, ooh, I'm going to go buy a car and I'm going to. Yeah, always a saver. Go on vacation. Yeah. Always. A, I mean, I, I do all those things. I'm on 130 planes a year and I love traveling, but I've always been a saver. That's good. Hudson just bought his first two stocks this week. What'd you Didn't get, you? Hudson? Didn't you? You were fixing two. I can't. Fixing two. Oh, they won't let you do it yet? What were you going to do? What were you going to buy? Uh, Nokia and 
ADT or something like that. Yeah. Nice. You know, I would look at some of the like really good companies too that you know aren't going anywhere, but they've been really hurt by this, like Disney. Um, and Disney's dropped quite a bit. So yeah. if you look at some of these companies that you know are coming out of this, they just obviously can't open their theme parks and nobody's going to movie theaters, but Disney's not going anywhere. So you can buy some things at a discount. Yeah. So um, the way you talk, it make you make it sound like it was really easy what you did, but it, it, it was definitely not easy. It took you a lot of work. So how did you manage your time when you were in school? doing all of this and going to school? Well, um, I went to school, obviously, I'd get out at three o'clock and I would go play. I played four years of soccer in high school for our, for our school. And so, you know, then I'm not getting home until like six o'clock. But the really thing I sacrificed or the real thing I sacrificed was sleep. I mean, my mom tells a story. She would have to set an alarm for like two or 3 a.m. to tell, you know, to wake up, to tell me to go to bed. And then I would be up at, you know, 6.30 to go start school at 7.30. So I really sacrificed time. Um, but that's that's all I feel like I sacrificed. Uh, everything else was pretty normal. Played sports, had a serious girlfriend in high school, all those kinds of things. And, uh, yeah, just time management somehow. But it didn't feel like work to you because you enjoyed it, so... Exactly. I mean, it was never about the money. The money was like the byproduct. It was about the challenge. And uh, hey, if I did this once, why can't I do it twice? And then why can't I do it a third time? And then if, if I keep the same principles, like start small, start with very little money, even when I had the money to invest, I wasn't putting money back into like my new business. I wasn't putting into a startup. I think startups should be broke because then you run them a different way. Um, right. And I didn't know any, I, it just looking back, you're like, oh, well, that makes sense. But I mean, for me, it was just like, well, I don't want to risk, you know, $15,000 into a new business. I'll start with nothing and, and figure it out again. So that it was more of like, I don't want to lose um, more than anything. Right. You know, a lot of people would say, that's crazy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get by on that much sl little sleep. But I hear stories all the time about parents whose kids are up playing video games till two right. or three in the morning. So at least, I mean, you're doing something productive and something that's going to change your life while they're doing something that really has no value. Right. Um, and I can't do uh, four hours of sleep now, but, but then I could. Um, so I don't know what it was or if I was just on a, uh, you know, energy kick where I just went from school to soccer to go home, eat dinner, and then go work on my business. Um, so I, I think it was just a drill, a drill in. Right. Well, and if it was something you hated, you probably wouldn't have been able oh, to do I it. I would have never, well, A, I wouldn't have been successful at it because I wouldn't have wanted to be. Right. And uh, yeah, it was definitely, I did it because I loved it um, and still do. It's still what I do, business. So your main motivation is the challenge and helping people. Helping people. And that was basically because of the Trump story where he didn't have to do anything for me and he was more than generous. And I've had a lot of other people do that for me along the way. And so I try and give back um, in a lot of ways um, now that I'm able to. So, so would you say that most of the lessons that you've learned about business, like the ones you used in your book, you learned all of pretty much all those by trial and error and trial and error or by literally reading every other successful business person, you know, the big names 
that I knew of at that time reading their books and it was their trial and error that saved me. So it could be, you know, Dell computer grew too fast when he left his dorm room and went to, you know, a 10,000 office square foot place and then a 20,000, et cetera. It could have been a lesson that they learned, but I got the lesson for, you know, $12 by buying and reading his book. So I think biographies and, and for me, business biographies um, are a great way to get somebody else's trial and error. Yeah, that's great. Have, have you ever heard of Andy Andrews? I know, how do I know do that you know name? Andy Andrews? He's a motivational speaker. He writes lots of books. Um, oh, yeah, the Traveler's Gift. Yeah, I recognize him. Yep. Yeah, that's that's how he got started. He just went to the library. He was homeless. He was a homeless teenager. Went Amazing. to the library and would read biographies all 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 day. And obviously, he started with nothing. If he was homeless, and he's been yeah. successful um, because he had to be. Yeah. What's your favorite business book? Oh, gosh. Um, so one I just read recently that I like, it, it, this, it, this is just a good book that's a little fresher than some of the others I would name for you, um, is Never Split the Difference. Oh, and you have that one. Have you read? Yeah, Chris Voss. Yeah. So I haven't read it yet, but I... FBI. Have you read it? Yeah. No, I heard him on a podcast, and so I bought the book, and I haven't got it to it yet, but I do have yeah, it. Yeah, it's a great book, and um, I don't know Chris, but I've got a, a friend that knows him really well, and he's basically international hostage negotiator for the FBI, and this book is more about business and what he learned in those lessons negotiating uh, than anything else, um, and it's, it's a good read. Um, otherwise, most of my favorite business books are... Uh, really old business books. Um, so even like Art of War, um, obviously the business biographies, pretty much any, any business biography. Um, obviously Tim Ferriss, Four Hour Week Week's a great book. Um, just how he bootstrapped, similar to the way I bootstrapped. Um, there's so many out there. Although I'll say a lot of them now, the reason why I quote some old books, um, Napoleon Hill, et cetera, is because a lot of the new books um, are like just uh, same information written a different way with a different face on the cover. But right. Think and Grow Rich is definitely one of the best best books. Principles don't really change, just the way you right. package them. Exactly, exactly. And and yeah, the internet has cha has changed business, and obviously the way right now we're shifting everything to be even more internet, whether it's, you know, cause you're sitting at home or you're getting takeout because you can't go in the restaurant, at least here in Virginia. So those, those restaurants are going to have to stay changed. They, they're not going to be able to go back to their old ways. Um, they're going to have to have, you know, the delivery services and all those kinds of things. So I think this really is just going to speed up the change and it's going to be pretty interesting coming out of this. You've had some amazing successes, and many of those were at a young age. How did you keep from getting a big head? Um, well, I never really told any of my friends about my businesses, and I would do them really late at night. Now, as I was in different uh, magazines, et cetera, I remember I was in Newsweek when I was probably 13 or 14, and I didn't tell anybody, but somebody else at school said their mom saw it. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I've got, you know, an email business. It was called My Easy Mail. I run on the side, you know, whatever. Um, but they weren't even, like, interested. <laughs> like, I couldn't have got a big head because, like, nobody 
at that time, nobody knew what the word entrepreneur is. Um, right. At least, you know, young people. Now it's a hot word that's probably thrown around too much, but um, that's not who you looked up to back then, even though now I think entrepreneurs have, are definitely looked at in a different way. Right. So I never, and, and, and I can't get a big head because if you asked, you know, who I look up to, I would say anybody more successful than me, whether that's more, more successful uh, philanthropically, whether it's through business, whether it's through, you know, anything. So that's kind of my drive is continuing to look at, you know, the next level. Um, and that's definitely a good motivation. What has been the success you've been most proud of? Uh, that's a tough one because there, there, I've been fortunate that there've been a few, I would say probably what I've been able to do with charities. And, uh, I was fortunate. This was a TV show back in 2008, but I was asked by Oprah Winfrey if I wanted to be a contestant, um, on a show she was doing where she was putting together 10 people from different walks of life. I was 21 at the time. So I was going to be the youngest on the show. And I was basically the business guy on the show. They had obviously other charitable people. They had um, dads. They had, you know, everybody from different businesses and that kind of thing. But it wasn't a business type show. It was about charity. And we would travel the country and we would compete each week to see who could raise the most money or who could be the most creative and how you help somebody. Um, and I got to say, that was like just a really honor. Uh, it was also the most emotionally draining thing I've ever done because you're on a road, like, the way these reality shows work. And I've always said no to The Apprentice. Obviously, they came to me many times uh, as soon as, you know, they knew the Trump story. So really, season one, The Apprentice started asking me. But I never wanted to, like, be in a show where you can look bad. You know, it could be editing and you just look bad, you know, based on decision that you didn't necessarily make. This show was going to be all positive, And it was obviously Oprah. And I had a book. So, you know, if you have a book and Oprah calls, you do whatever she says. Um <laughs> But so we got to travel the country, but it was emotionally draining because when you do these reality shows, you're literally on the road for six weeks, but you don't have a laptop or a cell phone. When we, we stayed in Hilton Hotels for six weeks, they were one of the sponsors. They would pull the TVs out of the hotel rooms in each city we went to. I mean, it's almost like they're designed to make you go crazy. Um, but that, they, they, can't, that? they can't film a TV show with you watching TV, you know, with the other characters or the other contestants. So... Yeah, it's so that, uh, but it was so rewarding and uh, emotionally draining because we really changed some lives, paid off a family's mortgage whose husband had six months to live and he was 35 and the wife was 31 and had already beat breast cancer. And we were able to raise 200 and some thousand in 72 hours and pay off her mortgage. That was just one small piece of all the great things we got to do. And this wasn't Oprah's money. This is like, okay, here's your challenge. Go figure it out. Um, yeah, so that, that was definitely, um, a, a one thing I was really proud of. Hudson has a question. What's the apprentice? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's off the air now. <laughs> well, well, you could say it's back on the air now, but yeah, uh, it's a show, uh, about the competition that Donald Trump had going back about 12 years ago and it lasted maybe nine or 10 years and he would take 10 basically people that wanted to become his apprentice and they would compete. And every week he would say to one person, you're fired and he would get rid of them. And then he would award somebody at the end, 
with a six-figure job being his apprentice at the Trump Organization for a year. So you're basically, it was like a job interview on TV. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have a clue what you're talking about. That's funny. Um, <laughs> That's great. What has been the greatest lesson you've learned? Oh, gosh. Um, these are hard questions. Greatest lesson I've learned? Um, like, remember where you came from. Um, start small. All the the way I structured my book, and this isn't a plug, nobody needs to go buy it, but it's called You Call the Shots, Succeed Your Way with the 19 Secrets of Entrepreneurship. And, you know, I and in each chapter is, you know, basically named a lesson. And I think, um, you know, remember where you came from. That's not a chapter, but uh, start small, put yourself out there, um, be the entrepreneur you want to be. I mean, this isn't for this isn't for everybody. I mean, it, you know, there's obviously stressful times. There's really happy times. Um, you, you've got to, you know, make sure you don't get greedy or lose the reason why you started in the first place, which for me was for the challenge. So you just got to remember that. Is there anything else you would like to add? Uh, this has been great. No, I really enjoyed it. Um, I hope your listeners do. And I love what you you guys are doing for teens and other entrepreneurs. Uh, where can we find you? You can find me at Cam yeah, CameronJohnson.com is uh, my website that just has some contact information and links to my books, et cetera. Or you can find You Call the Shots on Amazon um, or your local bookstore can order it for you. It's probably, it came out in 2007, so they probably have to special order it. But Amazon always has it in stock. Yeah, that's where I got it. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I don't even remember how I found it either. We That's have it wild. listed on our on our resource page that we recommend kids read, um, but I don't remember where I found it. I saw it recommended somewhere else, probably. Um, well, I'm glad you did, and I'm glad you reached out. I mean, you know, it, it's it's literally put yourself out there. I mean, that's why I try to respond to every email I get. I really do I do respond to every email I get, and I, I you know, I'm always happy to. Uh, do things like this. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. Check out Cameron's book. We'll have a link in our show notes to it. Well, thanks, Hudson. You did an awesome job, and uh, you've got a big future ahead of you. And thanks, Rachel, for uh, being on and moderating as well. Oh, thanks. We appreciate you coming out and talking to us. My pleasure. Now for the special contest announcement. We want you to come up with a business idea and an action plan to make it happen. We're going to pick up to 10 people to receive 50 to $200 in seed money to start their businesses. Preferences will be given to teens, but parents are welcome to enter too. The deadline to enter is May the 14th. Go to BeDaringLife.com slash contest to sign up. We'll email you a list of 75 possible business ideas and a guide on how to write a business plan. We will also do a Zoom call every Tuesday night until the contest deadline and the meeting will be at 7 p.m. on Tuesday night's Central Time. Uh, so if you have any questions or you need help in any way with your business plan, we will be there. If you like our content, please visit our website at BeDaringLife.com, our Facebook page at BeDaringLife. We would love it if you would subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. The more reviews we get, the more visible our podcast is, and the easier it is for people to find the great community that we are building together. 